Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. I'd just love to start by honoring those um, who have honored me um, and who have guided me. First of all, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, who died for me, who gave me this word. It's all glory to him. I could not do anything without him. But I'd also like to honor my pastor and first lady, uh, brother and sister Burke, um, the investment that you've poured into me over this last year has just been so encouraging. Um, just confirming that, you know, God is indeed doing a work in me, and it's because I made myself available, and you wanted to make sure that that would be rewarded. Um, so I thank you for that. I thank you my parents, <laughs> um, for just over the years, teaching me how to be a good steward for God, um, doing all that I can for his glory um, and everything, giving thanks. <clears throat> and then um, I'd also like to thank Miss Sydney Lois <laughs> and her mother. Um, they have been a great blessing to my life. Both of them just so supportive. Um, And so, um, before we get started, um, I do want to enter into a little bit of prayer. So, join me, please. Lord, I thank you so much for your presence that is already felt here today. I'm thankful that you use people no matter what they look like, no matter what their past is, that if they're willing, that you will use them. And I'm thankful for that today, Jesus. I pray that this word would challenge us and that we would be open to the challenge today. And I thank you for it, God. All glory be to you, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. I'd like to open today with a little story. It's very short. Um, But I help my lady um, by uh, trying to be as gentlemanly as possible. Um, So that includes me opening doors for her, um, giving her shoulder rubs whenever she's uh, sore from work. And occasionally, when she lets me, carry her things, and one time, uh, we, me and her mom, um, and her, of course, uh, we were all going to the same place, and so I was picking up her bags, and she stopped me, 
And she was like, no, give those to me. And then uh, <clears throat> Sister Tanya said, um, you know, you, you have to let him do that for you. He's trying to be a gentleman for you. And she said, but mom, you raised me to be an independent woman. And she said, no, I didn't. I've never taught you to be independent. And she was like, oh, well, something did. <laughs> so, um, and then, like, after that experience, it kind of just planted a little seed in me that I've thought about for quite a while. It's been months since then. Um, but, like, looking back on it, I thought, you know, my mom and dad never taught me to be independent either. Looking back on it, um, most of the advice that they've ever given me, especially in college, was who to go to for help. It was always just, if you need help, ask for help, go to this person, ask for help. Did I ever do it? No. But I think there's culturally a reason why. And um, that's what the Lord revealed to me today. But I do want to talk about independence and how it's not a bad thing. <clears throat> Our nation was founded on the very principle of independence. Independence is a word that is pumped through our American blood. And thank God that we are an independent nation. For, uh, for I'm just going to give a refresher. Um, America was at one point not a free nation. <clears throat> it was very much tied to Great Britain. It was a sister colony. And therefore reigned over by the British kings. It was all fun and games until King George III became crowned. Now the people who lived in America were received supplies from the British but were overtaxed to the point of ridiculousness. Um, I read somewhere that it was, they taxed in America, it was only like 1 to 1.5% and Britain was taxing them anywhere between 5 to 7%. So, um, and they didn't consent to that tax. Uh, he just threw it on them. So, um, that and there were a multitude of rights that the American people just didn't think King George was adhering to. Um, <clears throat> they had left England for religious freedom and had their own thing going for nearly a hundred years now. <clears throat> but King Georgie just wouldn't leave them alone. <clears throat> well, the American people had had it with the British Empire. So they decided to do something that was very risky. The American people wanted to establish a new government, one which treated its citizens with as much respect as its leaders, founded in biblical Christian principles. And boldly, they made this Declaration of Independence. July 4th, 1776. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Basically, in that one long sentence, um, they're just stating that <clears throat> there comes a time when you need to cut ties, but it has to be for a reason. <clears throat> and so this paragraph, 
I'm sure everyone has heard, at least in some way. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter it or abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Essentially, saying that we have God-given rights and governments are supposed to uphold those rights. Going on, prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind and more disposed to suffer while the evils are sufferable than the right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. So we're not trying to dismantle our government for no good reason. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such a government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having indirect objects, the establishment of an absolute tyranny over the states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. Isn't this just poetic? I love our founding fathers for coming up with this. So beautifully worded. So then they go on and list 27 accounts of all the horrible things that King Georgie did to them. The document continues after those 27 offenses. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble of terms. Our repeating petitions have only been answered by injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which couldn't be defined as a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. This is the last paragraph. It's also one sentence. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, and General Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the restitute of our intentions, do declare that the United Colonies are, and of right, ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states, they have the full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of the Declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor.
Wow. That is so powerful. <clears throat> and of course, we had to go to war to gain our independence. But this document is what burned in the hearts of every American. The story of our country is actually a lot like the story of another found in the Bible. The book of Exodus, to be exact. The Israelites had been enslaved for hundreds of years in Egypt. It wasn't always this way, but over the generations, the Egyptians had made their Israelites be their slaves, working them almost to the point of death every single day. And then through unlikely circumstances, God chooses Moses, a man born an Israelite, but raised an Egyptian, an Egyptian royal, actually, to lead the people to freedom, despite his inability to speak publicly. And of course, it takes Pharaoh a lot of convincing. <clears throat> ten days, ten plagues, each plague worse than the last. <clears throat> but he does eventually set them free. So once Moses gathers up all of the Israelites and they head out of the country and into the wilderness, Pharaoh changes his mind and hunts them down with his chariots. And then the Israelites find themselves cornered up against the Red Sea. And then Moses, at God's command, raises his staff and a mighty gush of wind parts the, rivers, or parts the river and keeps them there until every Israelite can cross over. And then once Moses gets to the other side and, realize, and makes sure that everyone is on the other side, he lowers his staff and the massive waves crash over on top of Pharaoh's army, ceasing their chase. <clears throat> and it's at this point that Moses travels up to Mount Sinai and receives God's instruction to Israel on how to be a free, independent nation. But only independent in the sense that they no longer needed Egypt or any other government besides God's government. They could be their own nation, God's chosen nation. You see, this people have only known slavery for generations, but God had set them free. They still didn't know what freedom looked like exactly, so God gave, him, God gave the law and the Ten Commandments. And we're going to go to Exodus 20, 1 through 17. <clears throat> And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall not have any other gods before me. <clears throat> the, uh, <clears throat> the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or of earth beneath, or that is the water under the earth. You shall not bow to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. The third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will, hold, will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The fourth. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath for the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor a stranger within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, 
and the sea and all that is within them. And he rested the seventh. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord is giving you. Six, you shall not commit murder. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. Nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And the final commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. So these Ten Commandments are much like those certain unalienable rights that our founding fathers understood. If everyone was endowed with the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, then if we violate any of the Ten Commandments, we're taking away those unalienable rights endowed to us by our Creator from others. Now these Ten Commandments, Jesus boiled down to two great commandments, which he revealed in the Gospels. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. For if you follow those two commandments, you shall never be at risk of breaking any of the ten. And this last example of independence that I have for us is a form of independence that's still good. It's something called to by God for the modern-day church. We are called by Christ to be separated from the world. And this is a word that is repeated throughout the Old and New Testaments. So obviously, this is a big deal for him. And it should be a big deal to us. God said it first to the nation of Israel after their exodus. He wanted his people to be instantly recognizable and holy. And while the culture over thousands of years has changed, and the recipients of that command has changed, since we are all grafted into his kingdom, the standard hasn't changed. We are called to be a people who are separate from the world. As followers of Christ, we are to be independent from the world, no longer clinging to the world when we have needs. And thanks to Jesus Christ, we don't have to make ties with sin and flesh and worldly habits. We can declare independence from those destructive ways of living through Christ crucified and Christ resurrected. So it's quite safe to say that independence under the right circumstances is a very, very good thing. And it's so saturated throughout American culture that while we are still learning how to spell basic words, we understand and value the concept of independence. But we must know that with this focus on independence, it breeds in our country a pathway that leads to utter destruction. So what's the problem? While independence is a phenomenal model for declaring freedom from a tyrannical or oppressive government, when applied to the individual and with too much focus, it comes to mean something entirely different. Something God never intended for us. So much of society is trying to tell us that we, as individuals, have to be completely self-reliant and independent. We have to look out for ourselves. Under the guise of being patriotic, 
It claims that the individual's independence is powerful. Making it, uh, making it on your own is more impressive than making it even further with someone else's help. That it takes a strong man to fix his own problems and a weak one to ask for help. I want to ask you, what sounds stronger to you? I'm a strong, independent woman who don't need no man. Or I'm a strong, dependent woman who can always be depended on, no matter the circumstances. For me, it's not even close. I think what the country has done, maybe unknowingly, is that it has taken the Declaration of Independence to mean something entirely the opposite of what it means. It's supposed to bring unity. It was a call to action. The Declaration only worked because it was a nation that was formed, and its people came to realize that Britain was not upholding biblical truths. The certain unalienable rights afforded to every human life. In fact, there was no country on earth whose government was founded on so many Christian principles. When we declared our independence, we did it to separate ourselves from a very flawed government system that had a horrible balance of power. And our nation only stood because of our strength and numbers and our unity and purpose. In this instance, independence was an amazing and truly unprecedented opportunity. And the results speak for themselves. No one can argue that, and nor should they. But of course, when applied to the individual, horrific consequences ensue every single time. Individualism is plaguing our country. So much to the point where the individual needs are now outweighing and completely overriding the needs of the society as a whole. Yes, by definition, any society is made up of individuals, but there needs to be a unifying force that holds it together. And if individuals are all independent from one another, then logically it leads us to the conclusion that we can't have a society. Our country won't be civilized anymore. And that's leading us to the point where a large number of people actually believe that authoritative pers- uh, parents are the worst thing for children and trying to separate families. So the definitions of independent are as follows. Free from outside control, not depending on another's authority. Hmm. Not depending on another for livelihood or substance. Now when you take a broad definition like that, with those two uh, describing sentences, and you apply it to the individual level, does that sound anything like? Does that sound like anything in the Bible as it relates to us and our relationships with each other and with God? It does not. You cannot find a single point in the Bible where individual independence is a good thing. If Abraham had not depended on God for absolutely everything we would never have the nation of Israel. If Moses had not depended on God to be his voice and to part the Red Sea, would that nation even exist today? If David had never went to God in all of his troubles and depended on him for literally every decision he made, we would not have the King David who has his many empowering psalms to uplift and encourage us in the modern day. In fact, if you want to know the King David who acts independently, 
Just look at the King David that married a woman, stole her all to himself, and then had her husband killed. That's what individual independence gets us. And therein lies the problem. As it so easily breeds uh, pride and actively brings forth disconnection from the ones around us. We, are made, we were never made to be independent creatures. And I can prove that by looking at Genesis. It all comes back to Genesis. <clears throat> Here we have Genesis 2.15. <clears throat> then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. Jumping down to verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a great sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to Adam. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then backpedaling a little bit to Genesis 1.28. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over everything that moves on the earth. Now when reading these scriptures... It's abundantly clear to me that independence is completely out of the picture for man. We are made to be dependent, and we are made to be dependable. And I will explain it like this. When God made Adam, he did not make him independent. He expected Adam to depend on him for all that he could not handle. And while giving Adam a very big responsibility of taking care of his garden and naming every creature. Adam was made to be dependable, to do his job that he had had been given to the best of his ability. God counted on him. But working diligently, it just wasn't enough for Adam. And having God's fellowship, although it was fulfilling, it just wasn't enough because there was just no one equal to him. He searched the entire earth and could not find someone like himself. Even though he was doing his job well and following God's command to tend to the garden and name the animals, it became more and more clear to him and to God that he needed a helper. He was missing something. God could provide him with anything he needed, but there was still something that he longed for. He longed for someone like him to help him, help him give him meaning. So God provided him with Eve And why on earth would God have provided Adam with a wife if he intended for him to be independent? So I believe what the world is looking for instead is freedom. 
And we often equate the two words in our culture, even though definitionally they are not the same at all. You cannot interchange them. They have completely different definitions. Freedom is the right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. The state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. Or acting without compulsion. Or maybe they're even thinking of liberty, which is the state of being free within a society from oppressive restrictions imposed by authority in one's way of life, behavior, or political views. Or the power to scope or the power or scope to act as one pleases. <clears throat> we are free creatures. We are made to be free. But what's important about freedom is that there's usually something we must be free of or free to from. In this instance, we are free because we live in a society that isn't being told what to do by any, oppressive, by any other oppressive government. <clears throat> but more than that, we are set free from sin through Christ's death, life, death, and resurrection. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. We also, because of that freedom, have free access to our rights, and thanks to our government, uh, thanks to our government's laws, we are free to build, create, to multiply, to speak, to worship, all to our heart's content, as long as it doesn't interfere with other people's rights. Now, here's what I believe. The culture has subconsciously equated freedom and independence and at the same time is focusing on the wrong aspects of those words. <clears throat> independence is seen as a good thing, encouraging independent thought, living independently, and accomplishing things all by your own devices and not getting any insight from others. Or when insight is given, disregarding it altogether because in this world it's you do you. And freedom has been boiled down to the idea of whatever extreme lifestyle I want to take, I can, as long as it's written, <laughs> as long as it's legal. People are abusing their freedoms that the founding fathers fought tooth and nail over and twisting what freedom even means just so they can feel good about doing things that they know they shouldn't do. True freedom isn't found in doing whatever you want. True freedom is found when we give up our lives for Christ because then he takes everything else that we can't handle and we no longer worry. And that's what true freedom is about. Because we don't have to live with that guilt and shame looming over us at all times. We are free to live our lives for him no, matter, or no longer under the oppression of our sins. And so, in a way... When we are freed from our independence, that's when we obtain freedom. All of this being said, God does not want us to be independent, but he also doesn't want us to be so dependent that we lose sight of our own God-given abilities. The abilities that he has trusted us with. And we are to use that ability for his glory. Remember that Adam was still held accountable for tending to the garden, even though he was depending on God for a great number of things. We can still depend on God for the things we cannot handle, but the little things he gives us, he expects us to be able to complete. This also isn't necessarily a codependency either, since God doesn't need us. And there are some things that, he can do, that we can do without him, thanks to the uh, free will that he has given us. 
So in our lives, if we want to be depended on by others, and we are meant to depend on others for help, the word that we are looking for, and the only word that even comes close to describing the system that God gives us is interdependence. It's defined as this, the state of being dependent upon one another, a mutually dependent relationship. Now, for those of us who have been raised by the current education system, this is me, we have never heard of the word independent taught about in class, ever, or even the concept. I actually first heard the word by listening to um, Brother Bernard's uh, podcast about how the government of the church operates interdependently. Never heard of that word before. Most people probably don't even know that this word exists or even what the concept is. They might be able to subconsciously recognize it, but they would never be able to get a hold of how important the concept really is. Think about a machine. So many moving parts, every part is interdependent on the last one that came before it. So the only way systems are able to run any sort of system is not full of individuals who say I can do it on my own I don't need anyone's help that gets absolutely nothing done nothing will ever get done when everyone is only attending to their own needs especially since they can't always help themselves okay great we have an answer So what does interdependence look like? What's it supposed to look like? Well, when practiced to the highest degree possible, we have Jesus Christ, who was interdependent. His flesh was interdependent with God, the spirit that was in him. He was interdependent on his mother, his disciples, just about everyone he met, actually. He always served them. Even the prophets of the Old Testament, who told his life story in complete detail, he was dependent on them. So we see how in the Gospels, he sends out out the disciples two by two to spread the Gospel while he goes alone to pray. They were a well-oiled machine and strengthened their bonds with one another and gave and gave and it gave them the courage to die for this good news knowing that they would not be alone in the faith and that there were others who knew it was and there were others who knew it was the truth they were able to cultivate a strong loving relationship with one another thanks to their interdependence <clears throat> now ladies and gentlemen i'm about to present to you the biggest crisis we face when dealing with independence. It quickly robs us of relationship. And it's impossible for us to be one church without relationship. Independence has a chokehold on the culture. And ever since his early high school, I remember there being a huge emphasis on the schools helping to make us independent persons. I'm sure what they meant is being able to live without your parents to give you a fighting chance in the world. But it has become, it has, 
a terrible consequence we are all facing today. No one wants to be a part of something bigger than themselves. When I think about some of the slogans that I've been fed to perpetuate this idea, the one that always comes to my mind, it's never sat right with me, is you can't help anyone if you can't help yourself. Statistically, the thing that drives most people out of addiction or depression isn't convincing themselves to stop doing it. It isn't the self-help books. It isn't anything they can do by themselves, but instead it's connecting with other people, helping others, or getting help from others. In truth, absolutely no one can help themselves. So this slogan is harmfully disingenuous. Maybe the slogan should look something like, you can't help anyone until you've been helped. But even then, it's a little flawed. Because most of the time, the most broken people improve the most in their conditions by the act of helping others, by contributing to their communities, or giving what little of themselves they have left back to society in some way. Whether we realize it or not, God gave us all a servant's heart. And there's something about helping others that helps us. It lifts us up. So we're asking around the church, why don't more people come sign up to help clean? It's always the same people. Well, here's my hypothesis, one that I've tested on myself and I found to be true. <clears throat> it's because we don't feel worthy of helping. Or we're unaware that others are counting on us. It's because we first have to take care of our issues before we ever try to touch something that isn't our problem. Oh, I've got kids. I've got a house to clean. I can't clean the house of God. I have to get all of my things together first. <clears throat> in the, but it's not in a sense of holier than thou. It's the exact opposite. We don't have our own lives cleaned up, and we don't want to spread our mess to other people. Or we independent thinkers that the system has raised have this idea that our help just isn't needed because whoever's problem it is will do it. It'd be wrong for us to interfere with a job that isn't ours because our society is perpetuated by this lie that's meant to keep us separated, weak. That's why this battle is so hard to fight against. This world has sold us a lie and the means of selling it to us is the World Wide Web. Now, it's, it's no secret that thanks to the combination of the internet and the convenient size of our technology, personal devices have absolutely burst open the floodgates of information. Everything you wanted to know and didn't have the courage to ask, and everything you didn't want to know, you now know. It's completely changed the way information is shared and digested to the point where 20 years ago, it was a completely different world we lived in. I would like to say that this has led to some great explosions of creatives and genius breakthroughs among our common people. I mean, for me at least, let's see, it's, it's taught me a few new cooking techniques. Um, how to solve a Rubik's Cube. A handful of other tricks that don't really amount to anything. And all of this has come at an unfathomably high price. One few even considered before it was too late. <clears throat> Attention spans have plummeted ever deeper each year, so much to the point where the average child today is at a deficit. Anxiety and depression are at an all-time high. Pornography and other detestable media are the new norm, 
and have tens of millions of viewers every hour. And despite having access to all of this knowledge, no one knows how to think for themselves anymore because our critical thinking skills are kaput. We've just turned into regurgitators, separating the information from the personal connection to it, getting to the bottom line and nothing else. Surface level is just deep enough for us. And is there any wonder why we have a hard time getting deeper with God? <clears throat> I would like to conclude by giving us a really tough thought experiment today. <clears throat> I want you to think about when the last time was that you had a question to ask, and instead of going to someone you knew who probably would know the answer, you went to the internet instead. Maybe not even that you were aware of doing it, but just looking back on it, I know someone who would have been able to answer that if I asked them. And instead of, now instead of thinking about the last time you did that, I want you to consider how many times you've done that over the years. Does that number make you cringe yet? <clears throat> now is the tough part. I want you to think about how many times it could have potentially given you an opportunity to lead into a conversation with someone. I'm going to be honest, it shakes me to my core to think of this number. Because of the countless conversations it's robbed me with my dad. My dad is one of the most wise people I've ever met in every facet that you can think of. He's such a wealth of wisdom. He's emotionally intelligent. He's so in tune with the spirit. He's been living in my house. I've been living in his house, actually. <laughs> I'll take that back. I've been living in his house. There's your eviction notice. <laughs> I've been living, we've been living under the same roof for 24 years. And how many times do I choose a an impersonal, cold device that just spits out information just because it was quick? <clears throat> I love every conversation I have with my dad. <clears throat> I love even just sitting in silence with him. There's something so peaceful that only a dad, a good dad can give. There's just a certain peace about it. So dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I didn't realize this sooner. And I'm going to make it a point to reach out when I have questions. You too, mom. So this idea of independence is trying to tear apart father from son, mother from daughter, brother from sister. And if Satan can separate the families, he can separate the church. <clears throat> this one church has to be a church that's built on interdependence. And I think it starts here. <clears throat> it's a tall ask, but it starts with the little things like that. We have to come to the point where instead of Googling a question or searching for it on YouTube, we pause and think of someone 
in the church, in our own life, who might know the answer. Because what we've done with this information as a society, we've just been gorging ourselves on information and not sharing it with anyone. It robs us of all connection, and it makes us think that we're better than we are. These little searches here and there add up so quickly. And there's no telling how much deeper, how much stronger our connection would be to each other if we started looking for opportunities to include each other, sharing our knowledge with one another, and not being bothered by a simple question. Because you ask anyone a question, you text them a question or you call them, they'll say, why didn't you just look it up on Google? It's like, I know the answer, but why didn't you just ask Google? God is wanting to take us on our own exodus. He's trying to free us from the mindset that we have to do everything ourselves. There is no reason for us to take on more than he has trusted us with. Because when we do that, it doesn't just affect the individual. It affects the whole church, our whole world of people. It's time for us to reach out to help others and to not refuse help when it is granted. In closing, um, I would love for us to really think about taking on this challenge that God gave me first and that I, I felt like it was the heartbeat of God to share it with this church. And I know for a fact that that's why you asked me to speak because he had a word to give to his church. <clears throat> I was talking to pastor the other day after uh, service. I was telling him about this lesson that I had. Um, and <clears throat> he was like, man, I'd, I'd love to hear that lesson. I was preparing it for the youth, but like the more I got into it, the more I thought, I feel like this is something bigger. Something more than the youth needs to hear. <clears throat> and since they aren't here, I'll probably be teaching this again for them. Um, but I'm just, I'm very thankful <clears throat> that he speaks to us. And he can choose one person to speak to the masses. So I'd like to encourage us to go into prayer for a little bit to meditate and reflect on what he's given us today.